Take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 4, and it is the Christmas season. Christmas, of course, is December 25th. It's a celebration of a specific day honoring the birth of our Savior. There's another season this time of year. We call it the season of Advent, Advent being an an expectation of Jesus' return, and we use that analogy, there was a time before Jesus came the first time. We call that BC, before Christ, when God's people were waiting for a Savior. And this verse here, Galatians chapter 4, we're just going to look at verses 4 and 5, says, and when the fullness of time was come. So there was a time of waiting when things were not ready, things were not prepared, God in his infinite wisdom and in his sovereignty said, not yet. And then one day God sent his son. You remember those two people who had been in the temple, worshiping, praying for literally decades. One was named Anna. We were told, we are told that she was 84 years old and she'd been waiting all her life. So decades. Simeon, we're not told how long he had been waiting, but we were, we are told that God told, told him, God said to him, you will not die until you hold the Lord's Messiah, the Lord's Christ. And so he had been waiting for some time. And isn't it providential how God worked it out that the day Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to the temple to be circumcised, there are Simeon and Anna, and they recognize that baby as the answer to decades of prayer. Now, some of you, some of us, we've been praying Even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. For decades, perhaps. And it can feel like, when is it going to happen? I don't know. And I, I can tell you nobody knows. And if they say they know, they're lying. But we await his second coming. And it will come in the fullness of time. But this is a reference to his first coming, Jesus' first coming. Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Notice the two words in verse 5 there, redeem, redemption. And then that we might receive the adoption of sons. So adoption, redemption and adoption. We're going to look at those two terms today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for gathering us uh, this morning. Uh, There's some that would be here, as I mentioned, but they're ill. They're limited physically. And I lift them up to you as well. I pray for the uh, junior church teachers, the children's church teachers that even now are working with our children to, <coughs> to teach them not just about Christmas as an American holiday, but about Christmas as, as a celebration of your gift, Jesus Christ, to us. And we know that from a child... These young ones can know the Holy Scriptures. They can understand what salvation is. And so we pray for our children, for our grandchildren, to come to sincere and understanding faith in Jesus Christ through the lessons that are given today and in in future Sundays. We also ask that you would meet with us in this meeting. You never leave us. You never forsake us. But we want your, your grace 
and your wisdom to turn our minds to truth, to help us block out all the busyness of the week and of the season so we can give our complete attention to your word, to its meaning and to its application in our lives. So we ask for your help and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. My um, children use a word, a verb. I, I don't use it that much, but I guess it's pretty popular now. It's called to adult. They say, I'm adulting. And what they mean by that is they mean that they're paying bills. They're going to work regularly. It means that they're maintaining insurance on their car. You know, adulting. Now, I have come to realize there's a big difference, uh, the, the big difference between not adulting and adulting when it comes to Christmas season is pre-adulting people look forward to getting gifts, right? I bet you Chloe is wondering what those boxes under the tree are. Now, if she's like I was as a, as a, as a young person, I would go, when my parents were paying attention, I'd shake the box. Not, not real hard, because it might be breakable, but, you know, just enough to... So, I loved, uh, as, a, as a young person, even into junior high, I loved getting Legos at Christmas, and those are pretty easy to tell if you just shake the box. That's pre-adulting. After you adult, it always reminds me of molting. You know, insects and crustaceans lose their shell, lose their outer skin, excuse me, so they can grow a new one. After you adult, the anticipation goes to giving gifts, right? You go out of your way to find that perfect gift for a a spouse or a, a, a child or maybe a parent. You go out of your way to find that perfect gift. Months ago, I found just the gift for my dad. I purchased it. I said to my wife, we can't lose this gift during the move, right? So I think we know where it is. Found the perfect gift. I just can't wait for my dad to open that gift and to see what his face looks like when he opens the gift. So that's the adulting part, right? Now, I'm sure people will give me gifts, and I'm going to be grateful for my gifts, but I guess my attention is focused more on giving the gift than on getting gifts because I'm adulting. So that's how you can tell if you're adulting or not. (laughs) God has a gift, You know, we can give gifts to God, and I'm sure he's glad to receive it, but his focus is on giving us good gifts. The Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. God has good gifts for us. And these verses, if we can start right there in verse 4, when the fullness of time was come, these verses remind us that God always has a plan and that his plan is always good and that his timing is always perfect. I don't know about you, but I wonder sometimes in my flesh, in my just human thinking, I often wonder, does God really know what's going on? And does he care? And if he does know what is going on, and and I know he does, and I know he cares, why doesn't he do something about it now? He is doing something about it. He's always at work. I just don't always see it. And this verse reminds us when the fullness of time was come, not early, not late, God always had a plan to rescue his people. Don't don't think that when Adam sinned, when Adam and Eve fell, when they ate the fruit, all of a sudden God said, oh no, now I've got to come up with a plan. That's not how it worked at all. We're told in Revelation that Jesus is seen in heaven as a lamb slain before the foundation of the world. So before God even spoke the universe into existence, he had a plan. We know this as soon as sin entered the world. Right in Genesis chapter 3, when God was speaking to the serpent, God said, I will put enmity between thy seed and her seed, excuse me, between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, 
and it shall bruise thy head. Excuse me. It shall bruise thy head, yes, and thou shalt bruise his heel. I'm trying to quote it, and I'm not getting it right, but that's what it says. It's called the Proto-Evangelicum. It's the first mention of the good news in the Bible. God says, listen, I have a plan. When Abraham was in the city of Ur, filled with idolatry, wickedness, people all ignoring the true God to, to worship false gods, God had a plan. He called Abraham out of Ur. He sent him to a land. Abraham didn't know what the land was, but he sent him to a land that God had prepared. When God's people, the Israelites, the Jews, turned from God and they were in idolatry, that's when we have the great promises in Isaiah. Isaiah 9, 2 says, The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shined. And then just a few verses later, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. God has always had a plan, but he's also, he's so wise, he's so wise that he doesn't put his plan into effect too early. And it took some time for God's plan to come together. I'm interested, when I get to heaven, one of the things I want to know is, why then? I don't. I'm, I'm human. My mind's just a little bit, little bitty thing, and I don't always understand it. But God had a plan. Perhaps it was. We know that when Jesus was born, Greek had spread around, the Greek language had spread around the Mediterranean as the language of trade, so that it was easier for the gospel to be presented to more people in that time. We know that we call it the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Rome had conquered the regions all around the Mediterranean, North Africa, the Middle East, Europe, Southern Europe, so that there was the ability to travel and the ability to, well, I was going to say preach freely. We know Paul was thrown into jail. Others were persecuted, but they could preach. They could move around. We know that Jesus was born at a time when the Jews were expecting a Messiah. All of these things worked together to fulfill God's plan. And when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Now, I start here because it's a reminder to us that God has a plan for us today. And you may be in one of those spots where you feel like, what is God's plan for me? The temptation is to worry. The temptation is to act outside of God's will to try to accomplish my own plan for my life. I want you this morning to realize that God's timing is always perfect. You can always trust God for, the future, for your future, for your family's future. If you're like me, you uh, take some time. Uh, most days of the week, I take some time to just scan the news and see what's going on in the United States and in the world. And it seems like things are getting worse not only here in the United States, but around the world, things are getting worse. And of course, our flesh wants to worry. Satan wants us to be distracted and think, what is going to happen to my children? What is going to happen to my grandchildren? That's why our verse, that God is merciful to those that fear him from generation to generation. God has a plan for you. God has a plan for your children. God has a plan for your grandchildren. And again, Jesus may come back today. Amen. We'll be the final generation. But if he doesn't, God has a plan 
for future generations as well. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Second, I want you to see that God gave us a most precious gift. God always has a plan and God gave us his most precious gift. And the gift God gave us is our most precious gift as well. It's his son. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son. Notice the word his son, God's son. It's a reminder of the divine nature of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is the son of God. Jesus Christ is God. We say he's truly God. But then it goes right on to say made of a woman, which reminds us that Jesus is truly human. He's truly man. Now, again, that that concept of truly God, truly man in one person, Jesus Christ, goes beyond my ability to understand completely. But that's what the Bible teaches us. Fully God, fully man. It's a fulfillment of that prophecy that I mentioned earlier, all the way back in Genesis 3, when God said to the serpent, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. God kept his promise. God always keeps his promises. God always keeps his promises. I want you to see the nature of Jesus, truly God, truly human, truly man. Also, I want you to see the humility of Jesus to be born into a sin-cursed world. The humility of Jesus to take upon him flesh like you and I have. And to keep the law. It says right here, made under the law. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus said, think not that I'm come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. That's a big task. None of us can keep the whole law, but Jesus did. Jesus lived a sinless life. I'm not sinless. I'm not even sinless in the last week, the last 24 hours. But here's Jesus living a sinless life. The humility to not only become a man, but to voluntarily place himself under the law. Consider this. Who was it that ordained, who instituted, who put the law in place? It wasn't Moses. Yeah, he brought the tablets down. It it wasn't Abraham. It wasn't any of the great patriarchs of, of the Jews. It was God himself who gave us the law. And now here's God saying, I will be made of a woman. I will be made under the law. I will fulfill the law. And God had two purposes in sending his son. They're both in verse five, to redeem them that were under the law. And then number two, that we might receive the adoption of sons. I love this thought that God took us from being slaves to sin, which is what we were without Christ. Slaves to sin in bondage. We couldn't help ourselves. You know, we like to think that we could help ourselves. You know, God's giving us 50% and I'm giving us 50%. No, no, God's giving 100%. I'm just along for the ride. Now, it is a choice that I make because God in his sovereignty has given us choices. But it's his grace. It's his power that frees me from sin. I was in bondage to the law. So the first thing that God did for us by sending his son made of a woman, made under the law, he redeemed us. He took us out of our bondage, our slavery to sin. 
I'm going to read to you. Excuse me, I had a cough drop in my mouth. I have a tickle in my throat. I don't think I'm sick, but I start coughing, and then everyone worries that he has COVID. I don't think I have COVID. I don't even think I have a cold, but I still have this tickle in my throat. Redemption. Now, it's hard, it's hard for us to understand, for us to really comprehend the full meaning of redemption because redemption in the Bible has to do with slavery. And we don't have this institution of slavery. God be praised. We, we don't want slavery. Slavery is an ugly, sinful, wicked institution. So don't misunderstand me. But when the book was written, when Galatians was written, there were slaves, and they would have understood this clearly, that some people were involuntarily servants of other people. You didn't have a choice. Sometimes you were born into slavery. Sometimes you were captured as part of a, of a military campaign. Uh, sometimes you just were overpowered by the oppressive uh, 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 people in your society, and you were forced into slavery. Thank you, brother, for the water. You were forced into slavery. You didn't have a choice about that. And when we were born, when any of us were born, we started out as slaves to sin. We didn't become slaves to sin the first time we sinned. We started out as slaves to sin, and that's why we begin sinning really early. I'm watching some of these little ones, year and a half, two, three years old. I, 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 we used to have children that age, and it's amazing how sinful they can be. It really is. I mean, almost as soon as they comprehend no, you ask them to do something, they'll say no. As soon as they comprehend yes, you'll say don't do that. And they'll say, yes, I'm going to do that. It's just, it's in our nature (coughs) to be sinners. The problem is we look around us, we see all these sinners and we don't understand how terrible a condition that is. The misery that sin brings us to. And to redeem us means that God rescued us out of that captivity, out of that misery. But there's three pieces to redemption. The first piece is you've got someone who's enslaved, who's in bondage. Second piece is you have someone who wants to intervene. Redemption never happens because the person in slavery somehow breaks his chains and runs away. That happens in the institution of slavery, but that's not what redemption is about. It takes a second party who intervenes. And then there's a third aspect of redemption. There's a price to be paid. There's a ransom to be paid. It's not just God saying, okay, you're free. He does that by God's grace. We call that justification. But who paid the price for that freedom? Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, that's why churches have this symbol of empty cross because Jesus rose from the dead. But when he died on the cross, he died in my place. He died in your place to redeem us from the law. We were in bondage. We were without hope. There was nothing we were going to do to break those chains and set ourselves free. And God the Father looked down and saw our hopeless condition and said, I have to do something because no one else can. But it wasn't cost free to him. It wasn't without a price to God. He sent his son. When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law to redeem them. He was that payment for our sin. Now, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that your sins are forgiven, I want you to understand this clearly, that Jesus Christ already paid the price for your sin. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to give in the offering. You don't have to come a certain number of Sundays. You don't have to like me. You don't have to become a member of this church or be baptized. There's nothing you're going to do is going to pay the price of your sin. 
Jesus Christ has already paid the price. That's what redemption means. The price is paid. Now God says, here, I want to redeem these people. Redemption. (coughs) But there is a small, small is probably the wrong word, but there is a piece that we have in this redemption. That is, we can choose to remain in bondage to sin. Now, why anyone would do that, I don't know. But to illustrate this, imagine that for, my, for Christmas, my brothers, who my wife will tell you, my brothers can be very unpredictable. Let's imagine they show up on Christmas Day. We're not expecting them, but they've showed up before and I wasn't expecting them. <laughs> they show up on Christmas Day and they come into the house. They say, Scott, we got something for you. I say, great. And they drop in my hands a set of keys. And they say, we, for Christmas, we got you a brand new car. Now, again, I don't think my brothers would ever do that. But <laughs> heaven help them, and I mean that. You just, you, you, I, I, someday I'll tell you the story of what's going on right now. But you, you would be just incredulous at some of the ideas they come up with. But anyway, let's imagine they drop keys in my hands. They say, got you a brand new car. It's sitting out there on the curb. And I look out the window, and sure enough, there is a brand new car out there. I can tell you I am not going to run out there and try to start that car. Because I know my brothers. They would play a dirty trick on me and drop a set of keys in my hand that have nothing to do with that car to see my face and go running out there only to find out the keys don't match that car. So I can see myself responding to my brothers with, no, 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 thank you. Here are the keys. You guys, you go start the car. You know, we can do that to God, too. He says, here, I'm gonna, I want to set you free from sin. And we say, no, no, no. I, I I'm not interested in that. Now, a lot of times we're not interested in being set free from our sin because, frankly, we enjoy our sin too much. And if you're sitting here today, you don't know your sins are forgiven, and you're sure enjoying sin, and you think, boy, why would I want to be set free from that? Let me remind you the wages of sin is death. And it may not happen today. In fact, if sin killed people the first time they sinned, none of us would be alive. It takes time. There, there, there is a, there's an aspect of mercy to this and God's long suffering, giving us time to repent. But sometimes, you say, no, I really enjoy this and I'm going to hang on to it. Please don't do that today. Jesus Christ did not die so you could enjoy sin. Jesus Christ died so you could be free from sin. That's what redemption is. But not only did he take us out of slavery, out of bondage to sin, but there's a second aspect of that. He made us his sons. Now, let me be clear. Jesus is God's son by nature. He's divine. We are not divine. We're not God's son by nature. We are God's son, sons by grace, by his goodness to us. And adoption has two aspects. And a friend of mine helped me understand that, especially in Roman times, there were actually two aspects to adoption. The first aspect is the one we're most com- commonly familiar with, and that is we get certain rights we get certain privileges when we become the son of somebody. And that's true. We have now rights in adoption that we didn't have before. Verse 6 tells us one of those rights. And because your sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. We have access to God. That's one of the rights of sonship. Now, you guys are so kind and and and. You're, you're very polite. When you come to my office door and I'm back there, you know I'm in there, but, but the door is closed. You'll often knock, right? Pastor, and I, yep, come on in. Or no, I can't talk to you right now. My kids don't do that. They just open the door and come in. I mean, it's dad's office. It's just a different, there's a familiarity there that, 
that you don't share because they're my children. In fact, Caleb comes in, don't tell Caleb I told you, but Caleb comes in and he takes my chocolate. And I know this because I find little wrappers, the little foil wrappers around, and I didn't eat it. He doesn't even have the courtesy to throw the wrappers in the garbage. He's a son. He gets certain privileges and rights that other people don't have. I I tell you what, much better than being my son is being a son or a daughter of God and having direct access to the creator of the universe. And his love for us is, is... Beyond our comprehension, his knowledge of who we are and where we are in life is beyond anything human. It's just incredible. And so many times we don't avail ourselves of that direct access to God. We call it prayer. Are we praying? And and sometimes prayer means going to God and saying, God, I am hurting. I don't know what's going on and life is crushing me. Now, God knows all this. Don't misunderstand but we still have that privilege as a son or a daughter to tell him about our life's condition and know that he hears us and that he cares. And often when weight, life's weight is crushing, and it is crushing sometimes, what it is is God conforming us to the image of his son. He's using pressure and he's using time to make us more like Jesus Christ. Adoption has great privileges, There's a second aspect to adoption, especially in Roman times. Not only did you have new rights when you were adopted, but you also had new responsibilities. As an adopted son or as an adopted daughter, you had new responsibilities. One of the obvious responsibilities you had now was a responsibility to honor your father who had adopted you. And one of the ways that you were expected in Roman times to honor your father was to maintain the family's good name. You were expected to act like whatever family you were adopted into. And I, I love that analogy. It, it, it really transfers well to our spiritual condition. Now that we are sons and daughters of God, we're expected to act like sons and daughters of God. There should be a change in our lives. We're not going to be the same that we were before. There's a little children's song that we teach, doctrinally sound. The things I used to do, I don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. And I'm asking you, what change do you see in your life? We call it sanctification, justification, where God says, you're free from bondage, bondage to sin. Praise the Lord. Now, sanctification, where I live that out and I actually act as if I am free from sin. It's apparent. It's apparent to everyone around me. So the question I really want you to consider, and again, it's a rhetorical question, but consider is, can the people around you, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family, your friends, could they identify you as a Christian? Not because you say you're a Christian constantly, but because you're different. And the wickeder, the more wicked our society becomes, the more evil is in the United States, the more clearly we're going to stand out. The darker it is, the brighter a candle shines. And it should be apparent now, we live in a society where it should be very apparent whether you are a Christian or not by how you act and what you say and how you respond to life. It reminds me of a famous artist, Gustave Doré, was a famous artist, and he was traveling and he had lost his passport. And I've done this before, where you get to a place you need your passport and you start feeling all your pockets and then you realize... I don't have my passport on me. Now, in my case, I had had it up in my pocket and I had a sweater on over the pocket. Somehow it dislodged itself from the pocket and I found it in the bottom of my sweater, praise the Lord. But it's very disconcerting. When you come to a border post 
and you don't have your passport. And if you've ever met border guards, they're not usually the kindest people. And, and they don't usually give you a whole lot of passes, so to speak. <laughs> you, know, you don't get a whole lot of chances. You, do you have your passport? And does it have the appropriate visa? And that's the only question they care about. So this artist said, you know, I've lost, lost my pass, passport, but you can see, you can see I'm, I'm Gustav Dore. How, how could you not know who I am? And the border guard said, hey, there's a lot of people who come to this border spot, and they always claim to be someone famous when they don't have a passport. And so Gustav said, I just don't know what I do. He's, the guy said, listen, you're a famous artist. I tell you what, I'm going to give you a piece of paper. I'm going to give you a pencil. I want you to do a drawing. Prove to me you're Gustav Dorf. Well, the guy took the paper. He took the pencil. 20, 30 seconds later, he has a rough sketch. And the guy said, yep, you're who you say you are. You can be let through. Because of what he did. And none of us, none of us are getting to heaven by the things that we do. But we should be known as Christians by the things that we do. I was talking with one of you this week. He said, this person had started a new job and, and he just said, you know, the people at work think I'm strange because I don't participate in some of the stories they tell. Well, you understand why not? You know, they think I'm strange because I've heard people say, they think I'm strange because I work hard and everyone else is just doing the minimum to get by. They think I'm strange because I, I tell people, hey, I, I can't do that on Sunday. I have a more important place to be than could the people around you tell you are adopted sons, adopted daughters of God by your behavior? Now, if you, are in, if you are a Christian, you know your sins are forgiven, but you feel as if you are still in bondage to sin, I have good news for you. Redemption means you're no longer in bondage to sin. Now, it may take some living out. It may need, you may need some accountability. You may need some counsel. Yeah, certainly I would encourage you to, to join with us regularly for worship and to study the Bible so that you can understand how this all works out. But you don't have to be in bondage to sin. Just this morning, listening to a, a fellow preaching, he had started a program for people who were addicted. And in this case, it was drug addiction or alcohol addiction. And he said, the heart of my program is sanctification. Discipling them to live as Christians ought to live. To be free from sin because a Christian ought to live free from sin. Have you received this adoption? And if you have, are you using its privilege of just rushing into the throne room of God anytime you need to, to get help? We can come boldly. Hebrews 4 tells us we can come boldly to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. Are you living out its responsibilities? Are you known as a son or a daughter of God because your life is different? It's different than the people around you. Are you acting like God's child? This week, I, I want you to think about that and go leave here. Don't just leave here and, okay, sermon's over, done, good, out of my brain. Channel, actively think of yourself as a channel for God's love to other people. Actively think of yourself as a channel for God's grace to other people. Actively think of, a, of yourself as a channel for his long-suffering towards people, for his kindness, for his mercy. Maybe there's someone you need to talk to this week. The Holy Spirit would lay on your heart, someone you need to talk to. There's someone that the Holy Spirit laid in my heart I need to talk to this past week as I was preparing this message. Because I need to be a channel of God's grace and God's kindness to this person. Maybe it's somewhere you need to go. There's a funeral this afternoon. And Sunday afternoon funerals are not a good time for me. 
But I committed to a friend, I'm going to be there. Because what better place to support a friend than at a funeral? Are you acting like God's son? Be a channel of his love, his mercy, his grace, his long-suffering. Father, we're grateful that when the fullness of time was come, you gave us your son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem us that were under the law so that we could receive that adoption of sons, so that we could have that spirit of sonship in our hearts and come to you and say, Abba, Father, Daddy, Lord, we love you. You've been so good to us to free us from the bondage of our own selfishness and stupidity, our own sinfulness. And we want to live that out, Father. Help me, help us to act like children of God, to take not only the privileges of sonship, the privileges of adoption, but the responsibilities of sonship, the responsibilities of adoption to uphold the family name, that we are part of God's family. We live differently. Not to be embarrassed or ashamed when we make choices that are different than our co-workers. Not to be embarrassed or, or ashamed when we tell our family we can't participate in that. That's not right. Not to be ashamed when we don't imbibe alcohol when others are imbibing alcohol or we don't run to riot when others are running to riot. Father, give us grace to know how to say the right thing, how to be bold, how to be gracious, to be channels of your love and your long suffering, channels of your goodness to others this week. Lord, you've laid on some people's hearts a particular person to talk to this coming week, or perhaps you've given them a particular thing to do to be a channel of your grace to others. Keep that before them. Give them wisdom. They'll need your grace to be that channel of your love and grace to others. So we ask for that. And in all we do, we pray we would become more and more evident that we are the daughters and the sons of God through our actions, through our attitudes, through our words. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.